are pleased to introduce Dr. Vandana Singh, our speaker for today, on the topic of speculative fiction. Dr. Singh is an Indian science fiction writer and a physicist. She is a professor of physics at Framingham State University in Massachusetts. She is the author of two short story collections, The Ambiguity Machines and The Woman Who Thought She Was a Planet. In conversation with Professor Singh is Professor Rajiv Verma, who's retired from the University of Delhi Department of English. Welcome, Vandana. Can we begin with uh, your definition of speculative fiction? Now, I've heard of science fiction and read some science fiction as well. And only today, uh, I read something on the internet about George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And both these works were described as both science fiction and speculative fiction. So I would like to know how, uh, how science fiction and speculative fiction are different from each other and what is peculiar to speculative fiction. I should say that I believe that literary scholars fight hard about these sort of definitions, but I'm only a writer, so I'm going to give you my writerly perspective. Um, so for me, speculative fiction is an umbrella word that embraces different subgenres like science fiction, fantasy, magic realism. And all of these involve some degree of going beyond mimetic reality. Uh, so, for instance, one might talk about science fiction as a fiction in which the science of the story is central and that this science is either an extension of normal science or it's an invented science. But without the science element, that story would collapse. So that would be a definition of science fiction. Speculative fiction, as I mentioned, is a sort of umbrella term that embraces uh, imaginative literature as a whole. And perhaps we can describe speculative fiction as the fiction of what can never be literally true or what can never be at the moment, at this moment in human history. So I hope that gives some idea of my understanding. You say that speculative fiction is uh, about things which could not exist or which don't exist at the moment, but could come into existence in the future, perhaps. Uh, how is this different from any kind of speculative fiction, whether based on science or not based on science? Or is all speculation based on science? you know you can also have fantasy so mm -hmm. in a in a fantasy world in a fantastic world mm -hmm. uh, it's not science that provides the, mm -hmm. the difference okay. uh, but the rules of the universe itself are different through perhaps supernatural ele elements or magical elements for example so um, while in that sense both science fiction and fantasy have speculative elements but in one of them, uh, you know, the scientific and the rational, however invented it might be, is central. And in the other one, the 
the, the humans have power over or power with uh, the material world that gives them perhaps magic or the ability to uh, shift timelines or things like that. So these, these distinctions are not, uh, you know, these are not very, these are blurry distinctions, I would say, because there are stories that, you know, travel between science fiction and fantasy. In fact, some people call them science fantasies. So none of these definitions are written in stone. And I do believe that critics argue incessantly about them. Uh, one aspect that is perhaps common to all of speculative fiction is the notion that uh, critics call cognitive estrangement. And that has to do with uh, immersing the reader in an alternative reality than our own. And uh, what that helps us do, in fact, and this to me is one of the great powers of speculative fiction, is that it helps us recognize and question the defaults, the unexamined assumptions that make up our very real worlds. You mentioned, I think very rightly, that speculative fiction presents alternative worlds, alternative worlds which are based on scientific reasoning but nevertheless they're not the world as, they, as it exists now now what is the nature of the alternative world or the alternative worlds that speculative fiction presents while science fiction embraces the scientific rationality aspect often the science of that world need not be overtly expressed in the story it can be a backdrop and the story can ex examine the social arrangements that come from that kind of scientific uh, and technological world. Um, in the case of fantasy, uh, it could be a completely different uh, kind of world in a, that is not within the realm of scientific rationality, but is an imaginative extension, nevertheless, of our reality. So probably the best way is to give you some examples. Um, so for example, Ursula Le Guin, uh, who is probably one of the most respected literary science fiction writers, um, her book, The Left Hand of Darkness, is set on a planet of hermaphrodites, people who uh, actually change genders. And uh, so one of them, uh, you know, any one person there, depending on the season, can father a child or give birth to a child. And... Uh, you know, so, and this is the result of genetic experimentation over centuries and so on. And what's really, really interesting about this world is that, of course, it's not our world. Humans are not hermaphrodites, you know, and we have two biological sexes. But, um, you know, to quote Emily Dickinson, who told us to tell all the truth, but tell it slant, which I think is what speculative fiction does. When we read Ursula Le Guin's novel, The Left Hand of Darkness, we recognize ourselves sometimes in certain moments, and we recognize that sometimes in the real world, we are not necessarily man or woman. Maybe we are something else, something in between. So that's one example of a world that is utterly different from ours. Um, other examples include um, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World that you mentioned, and Orwell's 1984. Uh, and these are examples of dystopias of different kinds. So the imagination can take us to worlds that are more terrifying than the world we live in by 
taking some aspect of our current world and exaggerating it and seeing what the consequences are. Uh, for example, the novel Escape by Manjula Padmanabhan talks about a world where women have disappeared from society. And it's about the journey of one woman who's protected by her family of men to what she hopes is a place of safety. Um, so you can see how exaggerating certain aspects of our current social reality and to ask the what if question, what if we exaggerated it and this was the world, is in a way, a, a, can be a subversive questioning of our society as it is now. Well, that's very interesting. All that is said about Manjula Padmanabhan's book. I should find time to read it soon. Uh, but you know, the kind of science fiction that I have read in the past, so many of them present a very negative view of the consequences of science, or rather of what the world would be if uh, scientific developments were allowed to have their own way and to go unimpeded. Brave New World is a, perfect, is a perfect example of that kind of work, which is often referred to as dystopia. Now, does speculative fiction also present dystopias of this kind, where you present a world which is a, a kind of negative uh, development brought about by science, by movements in science, or is speculative fiction a more positive kind of fiction where the possibilities of science are not so much critiqued as celebrated? Is that the difference? Or in both science fiction and in speculative fiction, you have both the aspects of science, consequences of science. Science fiction and speculative fiction. Science fiction, um, according to the scholar John Reeder, um, is actually uh, arises from colonialism. Because if you think about the most common trope of science fiction, which is explorers going to a new planet and discovering strange aliens and life forms and so on and so forth. Uh, that is essentially the experience of colonialism from the colonizer's perspective. So uh, early science fiction actually celebrates science and technology and um, uh, is in fact, you know, there's a subgenre of science fiction called hard science fiction in which uh, people work out the details of future technologies. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a very positive uh, uh, feeling about going to other worlds and exploring and so on and so forth and using the uh, science and technology to, to better humankind. So if we look at, for example, Isaac Asimov, um, the classic works of Isaac Asimov, we see that, we see that science and technology are celebrated um, without much, if any, uh, critique of the consequences. It's later on that we see that people um, are questioning whether science and technology are the answers. Uh, whether science and technology alone can fix the problems, the social problems of humankind. 
And when they start questioning, and I think now I'm no historian of the field, but I believe that it was in the 1970s that the new wave movement in science fiction uh, started with the entrance of multiple women in the field, as well as some non-white writers. So they started questioning this notion of the, you know, manifest destiny, white man's burden of walking into another land and uplifting the, the so-called savages and so on. And they started pointing out, and I think it's no coincidence that we had, uh, you know, uh, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the first time humankind perhaps realized that we were capable of destroying ourselves on a global scale, that people started questioning whether science and technology were the, uh, you know, be all and end all of, uh, you know, what human humanity needed. So uh, today uh, there is another wave of science fiction, I think, that is capturing uh, the voices of people from other nations, more translations are happening uh, from other languages. Uh, there's a lot more talking back to the original so-called golden age, white man's burden science fiction. And here we see both celebrations of certain kinds of technologies, as well as critiques of those technologies. And uh, this is something that you see in, uh, you know, when speculative fiction, now if you go into speculative fiction, as I think of it as an umbrella word. So when you go into fantasy, for instance, uh, I'll give you an example from fantasy. There is a subgenre of fantasy called steampunk, which celebrates Victorian technology, essentially. And uh, traditionally ignored uh, colonialism and the subjugations of various people from the global south and uh, also ignored the kinds of knowledge systems that had to be devastated through colonialism, through mining, through all of these things to create, uh, you know, the devices that were used in that era. Now, within steampunk now in fantasy, people are mushing, uh, pushing against that and are, are, are trying to bring back uh, acknowledgement of colonialism and alternative forms of steampunk that are not limited to the to Western Europe. So I think that this this movement to critique uh, the original foundations of speculative fiction, whether it's science fiction or fantasy or magic realism, seems to be taking off at this point. I uh, I wonder whether a background in science is essential for a science fiction or a speculative fiction writer. And uh, uh, adding to that, how does your own background in science influence your writing of speculative fiction? I don't think that one has to have a background in science to be a science fiction writer. I'm very fortunate that I do have a background in science. But I know of many great writers of science fiction who didn't. And basically what is needed is a curiosity and interest and ability to delve deep into the scientific basis of your story. Um, but in my case, I think one of the most important aspects of uh, my science background was not just knowing the basic physical laws of the universe as we know them now, uh, but also recognizing the fact that the non-human uh, plays an essential role in society. 
um, if you look at, you know, whatever little I know of mainstream literature, many of which works I do love and revere. Um, however, one thing stands out that it's very human centric and that uh, the non-human backdrop, whether it's landscape, whether it's other species, is basically just a backdrop against which a canvas against which the story plays out, the human story. And one of the things that the sciences uh, showed to me, the study of physics tells me, is that nature is always having conversations. Matter is always speaking to matter. And that physics is one way to eavesdrop through, you know, filtered through the lens of, you know, human understanding on some of these conversations. And so matter, in a sense, has an active role in the world. And we tend to ignore that at our cost, I believe. And we also ignore the role of other species in making our life on Earth possible. So one of the things that science fiction or speculative fiction does is to bring back the non-human as a legitimate actor on the stage of the story. And uh, in that sense, having a, a scientific background is very helpful because I know that protons have interesting things to say, not just humans. And uh, uh, even more so elephants and trees have interesting things to tell us. So in that sense, that's the other great power of science fiction, to restore us to our relationship with the rest of nature. That's a wonderful point that you have made about the non-human. Um, do you think it has any connection with, A, I would say, uh, let me put it this way. A, it is a critique of of humanism and of science from the Renaissance onwards. That's when uh, the idea of the conquest of nature and nature as the servant of man or as an instrument of man, that began. So it seems to be directed towards a reversal of that kind of trend, uh, which put man at the center of the universe. And it's, it's a wonderful point that you've made. Is this a, one I would say, is it related to any kind of religious view of the world, do you think? Or, or you know, so far as uh, it uh, brings forth an awareness of things beyond mere humanity in a very, very broad sense. But it does seem that, uh, you know, there's a, that in certain religions, there is a recognition of uh, being connected to something larger than yourself that is not exclusively human. And that, and therefore, you know, uh, uh, and in fact, this is also true of indigenous uh, uh, belief systems and, um, you know, old religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, and so on, that uh, a recognition of the importance of the non-human um, and where we are one of many actors uh, on this grand stage of planet Earth and uh, where, where, you know, the, a decision made by a bird or a tree can change the course of history. So the recognition of the importance of the non-human certainly can arise from a religious impulse or more broadly from a spiritual impulse. Uh, but it's also something that uh, I think science now is reminding ourselves of because science itself has gone through many historical paradigm shifts 
and although the mechanistic view of science that is uh, that you know originated with newton and newton's laws and and the work of descartes and similar mechanistic philosophers still has a powerful hold on our imaginations now within and beyond the sciences um, you know the study of complex systems in ecology um, for example or even the endocrine system of the human body and one of the things that i'm passionately interested in currently the climate crisis all of them involve inherent relationality between different aspects of the world that defy and cannot be held together or understood fully by a mechanistic world view so science itself i think is changing and recognizing that the mechanistic world view has limitations and uh, so in that sense it's not just the religious or spiritual perspective where we recognize the agency and the value of the non-human uh, but science itself and especially recently uh, discoveries in ethology in the behavior of uh, other species and uh, you know the fact that we have figured out what uh, you know the asian gibbons are saying when they vocalize uh to the point where we can talk back to them uh the recognition of the agency and the you know if you don't call it language we can at least say in terms of semiotics that other species are talking to each other and indigenous peoples used to know how to communicate with other species and some of them still do so uh from science also we are learning that our connections to the non-human are important in fact we would not be human without those connections about this focus on the non human in speculative fiction i have just this uh, kind of doubt in my mind about the relevance of that to the world's major social and environmental problems like climate change or even more importantly about the problems of uh, the economy of uh, the less developed countries and so on how much can the less developed countries afford to emphasize the importance of the non human when it is the welfare of the human beings which is or should be the focus of their efforts survival can only occur within healthy ecologies and uh, so engagement with the non human to recognize that we can only have healthy economies within healthy ecologies is absolutely essential because after all there's no one model of development even though there is a dominant one which is the western model there is no one uh, that's not the only one we can imagine other ways to be that are equitable and just and where uh, people are not starving and where people are in fact living uh, living good lives um we can and in fact a lot of the uh, pressure on the natural so called natural resources in the world is because of inequality because the uh, rich and the structures they maintain the economic structures they maintain take far more than what they actually need as human beings and so inequality is something we have to contend with if we want an equitable good lives for everyone uh, but also the recognition that we 
cannot uh, survive on this planet without healthy ecosystems is a very important one. And the recent uh, work on planetary boundaries, which are natural thresholds that are set by natural cycles to which we are indebted for the air we breathe, for fresh water, uh, for livable, survivable temperatures. Those thresholds, nine of which have been identified, of which modern industrial civilization has violated five uh, at this point in history. Um, all of our economic theories, all of our development theories uh, actually arose before there was knowledge about such things as planetary boundaries and ecological limits. And so the, the very, very difficult and complicated work before us is to figure out how to have human well-being along with ecological well-being within planetary boundaries. And where speculative fiction might play a role here, and of course, this is not just the work of speculative fiction, it's the work of many, many people, you know, economists and scientists and scholars of different uh, disciplines. But where speculative fiction can come in is to imagine worlds where we have equitable human well-being as well as ecological harmony within these planetary thresholds. It's wonderful uh, to learn from what you've just been saying, how deeply implicated speculative fiction is with uh, issues which are absolutely vital to the whole of mankind in the present world. Issues of environment and climate change and equality and social justice. So uh, it is not uh, obviously speculative fiction is not just a matter of fiction or of speculation, but is something which is deeply implicated in the central issues of the contemporary world. So thank you so much.